Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. Um, This is really going to be a fantastic episode. We have a special guest with us, um, Spencer Smith. Thank you for joining us today, Spencer. Amen. Glad to be here. Well, before we get rolling, uh, Spencer, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, You've got uh, quite the ministry, I think, predominantly on YouTube and you're on other social media. Just just tell folks who may not know who you are, what you do a little bit about uh, your work for the Lord and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. I got saved when I was 18 years old at a church in Swanee, Georgia, Peachtree Road Baptist Church, and went to Bible college. And when I was there, God called me into missions in Kenya. We went started going back and forth out of there. And during that time of working in Kenya, I started learning about the charismatic movement and just how horrible it was, which led me to study it and look at it, uh, take a real deep dive into that stuff. And I learned that uh, that the difference between the occult and modern day charismatic stuff uh, is almost nothing. I mean, there's they just the same thing with a different label on it. And so I started, I, I had a YouTube channel for years just showing folks what God was doing over there in Kenya. And so I kind of shifted my content to talk about that type of stuff. And I started, I made a, uh, I, I used a cell phone in my basement to film a documentary and I titled it Third Adam. And Third Adam, of course, is, uh, is a term that we talk about the coming Antichrist who will claim himself to be God and deceive the world into a false religion against Christ. Christ. And, um, and that just took off, went crazy. I actually released it February 1st, 2020. And of course we know that in March, 2020, that's when most of the world shut down. And so people were at home, started watching our YouTube channel and just the providence of God, perfect timing. Uh, our channel started taking off. We, we've actually made four third Adam films, actually five of them, uh, third Adam one, two, three, and three X and the third Adam four. And, uh, we've had over, we have millions of views on those. And, uh, that's, that's only part of what I do. I'm also the director of missions at our church here in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, Lighthouse Baptist church. And, um, and we, uh, I'm, I'm actually going overseas quite often these days, going to Dominican Republic with my wife, uh, to do some ordination of pastors and church planning there in December. So we're looking forward to that, but that's basically what we do in a nutshell. And I encourage all of our folks who are out there to go watch our third Adam series. It'll change your life. Well, that's awesome. I, I have to admit, and I told you this on the phone when we talked, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago about something random. When I first heard of you, um, I kind of thought you were connected to that crazy third eye eagle prophet of the sun, whatever that guy's <laughs> name is. Um, oh yes yes he's in my top 40 that's for sure <laughs> yeah um if people listening if you know who i'm talking about you know who i'm talking about and and if you don't well you are missing something because it's it's comedy gold i still haven't figured out if that guy is for real or if he just has like the most amazing uh parody out there in on the planet but um but then i think i saw justin peters comment um or share something uh, that you did or something like that and i thought okay well if if justin is sharing him then he's not related to to the third eye eagle prophet from the sun or whatever whatever that guy's name is um so it was good stuff but um i know people these days have short attention spans and so they're already like okay get on with it you guys don't normally chat so much in the beginning um 
Great podcast episode today. I, I think it's vital. It is, in fact, very near and dear to my own heart um, because I came out of the charismatic church myself. I spent a lot of time uh, overseas. Um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the charismatic doctrines, it's very interesting because overseas, charismatic, the charismatic uh, doctrines literally kill people. Um, and, and here, I think the only reason that doesn't happen so much, although it does happen, uh, is because of the fear of our laws here. Uh, it's not quite as easy to convince someone to uh, drink bleach to cleanse their body of evil spirits, you know, in America as it is in Uganda or Malawi or Kenya. Um, and so today's topic is on cessationism versus continuationism. Uh, and, and I want to start by giving a definition of cessationism because I think a lot of pushback, even by uh, guys in maybe some of our own camp who would be hesitant to claim the title cessationism, actually comes from not really understanding what that term means and what it includes and wasn't and what it doesn't include. Um, and so I would define cessationism as the biblical view that the miraculous and revelatory gifts um, were given for a specific reason during a specific time period in church history, the apostolic age, and now they've ceased having fulfilled their purpose. Um, and, and then I, I would just bring out the fact that cessationism does not believe that God no longer does miracles. We're simply saying um, that the miraculous and revelatory gifts uh, have ceased. So uh, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, uh, the gift of tongues, those things have ceased. Um, every cessationist that understands their Bible and understands what it means to be a cessationist um, would also still uh, agree that God can and does miracles as he wills. Um, but there's no one walking around healing everyone with their shadow, um, you know, touching people and they're getting out of the bed. Uh, that kind of thing, growing limbs. So I, I think that's helpful. That's what we mean by cessationism. We're only speaking of the miraculous and revelatory giftings um, during the apostolic age, and we're saying that those are are, are ceased to 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 exist. Um, why don't one of you guys give us a definition of a continuationist or continuationism? Yeah. I <clears throat> I would say it's uh, almost the opposite of what you're you're saying. Really, it's um, the idea that apostles and prophets um, are for today. I think people who are conti continuation continuationists, especially those who are um, on the more extreme end. I, I think there's a there, there's a smaller group that we call cautious, um, open but cautious, and and they're they they wouldn't say that there are modern day apostles and and stuff like that. But I, I think for a, a large part, it's a continuation of apostles and prophets, and with that, the signs. That came with apostles and prophets. Primarily, I would say the, um, the the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing. Basically, the the supernatural gifts um, that uh, were were there for a time during the apostolic age, as we would argue. But they would continue. Uh, they would argue that it continues into today. But really, from church history, you can't really argue that it has continued throughout church history because this movement really blew up uh, starting in the 1900s and then again in the 1960s and the third wave in the 1980s. Mm. So this has been a a relatively uh, recent, in, in light of all of church history phenomena, 
uh, of these gifts. And, and I think we've seen enough to know that the fruit that comes out of these movements don't match the fruit of what we see in the scriptures. Yeah, and I think it's important when we talk about continuationists um, to kind of understand that that term has, I, I think, since we've used that traditionally um, been a term used to describe the more conservative um, charismatics who are kind of trying to separate themselves from the larger charismatic movement. So uh, think of Bob Coughlin, think of Sam Storms, John Piper Wing, Grudem, D.A. Carson, um, guys who take scripture seriously, who um, aren't out there just kind of haphazardly looking for you know, things that make them feel good. Um, and in fact, Bob Coughlin, let, let me just read a quote from him. Uh, he said, the term charismatic has sometimes been associated with doctrinal error, unsubstantiated claims of healing, financial impropriety, outlandish and unfulfilled predictions, and overemphasis on speech gifts and some regrettable hairstyles. That's why I've started to identify myself more often as a continuationist rather than a charismatic. Um, and so when I use the term continuationist, and by the way, if you're open but cautious, make no mistake, you are a continuationist. Um, when I use the term continuationist, I reserve that for guys who um, seem to be, um, you know, genuine Christian brothers who are searching the scriptures and trying to find truth, and they've come to a, a different understanding um, than what's biblical um, in, in, in their trying. So, you know, John Piper, there's a lot we can appreciate from uh, Piper, from D.A. Carson. I mean, D.A. Carson is a brilliant scholar. Um, he's just wrong in this area. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I would kind of use that term for those guys. And I would say that those guys are in the minority. Um, the majority, we would say charismatic. That's the mainstream. Um, and so... And so let's just just kind of jump in and talk. I, I mean, there's so many places we could go. We we want to go to scripture, um, but let's just kind of talk about the general charismatic setting today, uh, but because these guys are in the minority, so we could deal with them, and and we'll get to that probably. But Spencer, I mean, you've been to Africa. Uh, your ministry largely is centered around exposing a bunch of this stuff, false doctrines, false teachings. If you had to describe the charismatic movement, um, how would you describe it? Well, in one word, I would describe it simply as mysticism. It is subjective. It is experiential. Uh, it is tethered to nothing. It has no frame of reference. It has no measure of truth. Uh, it literally is mysticism in Jesus' name. And, you know, there's an infinite number of just completely laughable uh, predictions, visions. Um, I mean, there's YouTubers that have millions of subscribers that are just like saying the most insane things you could ever say. And there's no accountability. There's no biblical frame point for what they're saying, but they claim to be Christians in Jesus' name. And what I've always said, and what we've talked about in our Third Adam series, this is mysticism. This is Gnosticism. This is New Age religion, uh, just glossed over with Christian terminology. And uh, matter of fact, when I was doing Third Adam 4, I found it. I don't have it on, on my desk here, a fascinating study by a college professor 
that compared African spiritism to and witchcraft with the modern charismatic signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And 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 they were talking about, you know, the 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 lucky charms, the talismans in witchcraft, and how that they don't treat the Bible as God's holy book instructions. They treat it as a talisman by which it contains this holy power. And that's that's the only reason they keep it close because they think they tr almost treat it in a sense as a good luck charm. And um and of course, you know, being being in proximity with your pastor, having him touch your forehead, that's transfers some sort of spirit energy into you. Uh, this stuff largely is the occult in Jesus name. And that's the most extreme version of it. But you find that all within the, you know, what we would call continuationist, they maybe to some degree, maybe they're a diet Coke version of that. I guess you could put it that way, or like a, a light version of that, but ultimately same thing. It is mysticism. It is, it is experiential. It is tethered to nothing. It has no frame of reference. It is not bound by the scriptures. And it is ultimately a very dangerous and subjective religion. You know, it's interesting. And Eki, maybe you can jump in here because I'm thinking about John Piper, for instance. Um, so, and, and I'm I'm a diehard cessationist. I, I mean, I'm as hard on that line as you can get. I think we can see it from scripture and then after scripture i think anecdotally it proves what we see bearing out in scripture but you know john piper it, it's interesting because he as far as i know still would claim to be a continuationist i don't think he's um uh, recanted that view but at one stage he would say things like you know functionally i'm a cessationist and uh there's a reason that functionally he's a cessationist because he might be one of the most honest continuationists out there he doesn't. Uh, he he believes tongues, for instance, isn't ecstatic babble, but it was what it was biblically—a a real human language that was miraculously given to someone uh, to speak who had never learned that language before. And Piper would go on to talk about how you can't fake that, right? If God doesn't give it to you, then you don't have it. Um, and he talks about how he would earnestly pray for it, but he just never got it. And so he's not going off, you know, you know, babbling. Um, baby words or saying the same quasi Spanish or Spanglish word over and over. So it sounds, you know, uh, somehow spiritual or whatever. Um, he just wouldn't do any of that. And so he talks about yeah. So he talks about that. And I think a lot of guys like him, the hang up is um, at least in part, you know, just kind of listening to, to him talk about that is the fear of sort of putting God in a box and, and not coming to his, um, in his mind, a place of clarity where the scripture says those things are ceased. Now, I think some of his personality plays into that, which you kind of talk to. John Piper is a very emotional kind of guy. And it is interesting how guys who tend to be far more emotionally driven in things kind of get sucked up in the experiential stuff. Um, and it kind of clouds their, yeah, their, their mind a little bit. Yeah, with with John Piper, and and I would say he's an incredible intellectual, um, great orator, great uh, great preacher. Um, but I remember he talked about those spiritual gifts, uh, particularly the gift of tongue. And I remember a quote from him where he said he wished he had it, and he he likened it to a toy that he wants but he can't have. And and so just just that kind of representation um, goes to show you kind of the mindset towards this. Um, but there there was also uh, there, there was also a story that. You know, he had been approached by some someone claiming to be a prophet, and his wife was pregnant uh, with child at that time, and, um, and and was told that the child was going to die, 
And, and so for the next uh, several months, he, he lived life in tremendous anxiety that that child was going to die. And the child didn't, the, the child lived. And, and I remember um, John MacArthur was the one that recounted this story. And he, he said to John Piper, how could you let someone like this, you know, throw you into anxiety like this? So I, I think there's, um, there, there's a lot of, I, I, for, from my point of view, I, I question his discernment um, a lot of times. And then when you read books from Wayne Grudem and D.A. Carson, um, when they both address the spiritual, the supernatural kind of mystic gifts, um, you'll read the book and, and they'll tell you point blank that their desire is to bridge the two camps together. They're, they're not, they don't explicitly say that they're trying to give you what the Bible necessarily teaches, but rather they believe they have good brothers and sisters in this camp and they don't like seeing the division between Bible-believing Christians and and these who are just considered charismatic and and they even they even say it point blank both of them did I've I've um, I've read excerpts from both their books where they talk about this where they say that their their goal is to try to bridge to draw a bridge between these two camps and uh, and do away with the division well if that's your goal you know that's basically third wayism right I mean you're just trying to find a, th- a third way between truth and falsehood. And there, there's this uh, started back in the 1800s, probably with philosophers and all that. There's a synthesis, antithesis, and uh, I'm sorry, thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. This idea that the third, uh, th- that the truth must always be somewhere in the middle, and that's patently false because a lot of times the truth is going to be viewed on the very extreme end. And I just got through teaching a, uh, a church history class where I talked about the fundamentalist movement and the Christian liberal movement and how the fundamentalists believed everything that the Bible said, and the Christian liberals didn't. They didn't believe in the deity of Christ. They didn't believe in the miracles. They didn't believe in the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy, and the inspiration of Scripture. So they didn't believe all those things, but over time, that term fundamentalist got got to be regarded as kind of this extremist um, faction of people who are foolish, uneducated, and so on and so forth. And and so there's uh, there's there's a way in which we need to pursue truth, and it always has to come back to the Bible. And for me personally, I, I call myself a practical cessationist rather than a cessationist that's going to be different from you two. And I say it for this reason, and I heard this from Paul Washer, and I agree. I, I can't pinpoint a verse. For me, I, I, there's, there isn't a single verse that argues that these gifts were going to cease. But um, Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. You only need to lay a foundation once. And once we had the Word of God, church history goes on to testify that the apostolic age was done. There was no further apostles. There was no need for prophets. We've got the Word of God. The Word of God is fully sufficient. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 and 17, the Word of God is breathed out by God and is sufficient to make the man of God equipped for every single good work. So we have everything that we need, and when the recent rise of Donald Trump and and kind of this you know the Paula White and the charismatic Christianity so to speak that that came to rise with it, we suddenly started hearing from a ton of prophets, right? And I've said this before: the 2020 election should have put to rest any idea that there were real prophets out there because all of them were predicting that he was going to win the election. They were all wrong, and according to Deuteronomy, they they all should have been stoned to death if we were living in Old Testament Israel, right? So if you're if you're a true prophet, everything you say must be spot on. And I, I've told other people this too, and I'm I'm kind of rambling on here, but everyone I've listened to that has claimed to be a prophet within the first 30 seconds, um, I know just from what they're saying, there's no way this person is a prophet. 
So I, I have yet to see a prophet that matches the biblical pattern of being a prophet, but you can extend that really to the supernatural, the sign gifts and all that tongue, uh, you know, when people, when it's just gibberish, when it's not being interpreted the way it's supposed to be, when there's chaos in the church. And, and when you have a general, um, a general characteristic of churches that actually don't cling to the word of God. So the, the gifts of God is not meant for us to divide from the word of God, which is what charismatic churches do. They, they don't know the word of God. They don't, they don't understand the will of God. And of the three members of the Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit, this is the one, the movement where God, the Holy spirit is absolutely blasphemed, right. And in, in terms of the, the, the spiritual gifts and, and, and the fruit of the spirit, my parents are both from Thailand. So I identify with the Thai community. If you go to Thailand, you will find a lot of churches that have bad theology, and they tend to be very health, wealth, prosperity driven, as well as be heavy on into the mysticism. And and the two often go hand in hand, right? So you get the health, wealth, and prosperity, you get the mysticism. And, and that fits very well with their culture because they are a very mystical kind of driven culture. So that appeals to them. But even in Los Angeles, we had a Thai community of churches in Los Angeles whose elders and teachers would tell their members not to come and listen to me teach. Why would they want them to listen to me teach, even though they were hearing that I was a good teacher? Because I shared the same position as John MacArthur with regards to the supernatural gifts that I see no proof that uh, that they exist today. Um, and, and then on top of that, when people come and hear me preach, they'll say, wow, you know, you're, you're a really great preacher, you're passionate, but you're not spirit-filled. And, and that always boggles my mind, because what does it mean to be spirit-filled? you got to take a look at Ephesians 5.18, right? Be filled by the Spirit. And what does that lead to? That leads to singing and hymns and songs and spiritual song to the Lord and good and right relationships between husbands and, and wives, parents and children, uh, and masters and, and servants. And go to Galatians 5, go, go to Galatians 5 for the fruit of the Spirit. There's nothing in there that says that the fruit of the Spirit to be filled by the Spirit means having these kinds of gifts. And in fact, when you look at the New Testament, these supernatural gifts are really not emphasized outside of three chapters in 1 Corinthians. And that that letter to 1 Corinthians was blasting that church for their lack of unity, for, for the lack of edification that was going there. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 14? I would rather speak five words with my mind than a thousand in tongue. And so anytime someone tries to tell me, well, well, I still think tongue is for today, but maybe it's just a private language and whatnot. I, I just point to that to that verse. First of all, if you don't understand what you're saying, who's actually being edified? And second, if you do this in a church, remember what Paul said, five words with my mind than a thousand in tongue. And so to me, when you look at all that, that really puts it to rest. If for some way, God, and look, God can do anything. If he were to bring back the gift of tongue today, I would expect it to match the pattern that we see in Scripture. I have never seen an example of that going all the way back to the first wave, to the second wave, to the third wave, to anything that's going on now. So that's that's my view. Jump in there, Spencer. Well, I, I like what you're saying. Anytime somebody says the word fundamentalist, I'm all in on that. Amen. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of this, um, and and I, I just want to kind of circle back again on this. Um, these people, they have no like. Here's a here's an example. And this is my challenge to people who are continuationists. Okay, if you if you're building a house and you're trying to use lumber. 
How do you know when a, a board is four feet long? How do you know? Do you just eyeball that? Uh, do you just uh, say, hey, you know, it, it looks right. So let's just go with it. If you build a house like that, uh, this house is going to fall eventually. And that's why there's so much insanity. Uh, I, I, I have no idea why anybody who's who is intellectual to some degree functioning literate person could ever sit there and say that what Kenneth Copeland preaches is biblical truth. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know how you can do that, but they do. So, and it, and the reason is the reason that they follow all that is because they ultimately at the end of the day have no use for the Bible. The, the spiritual experiences supersede the scriptures. They're tethered to nothing. And that's that vacuum of putting down the Bible and saying, you know, the Holy Spirit told me rather than the Holy Bible told me. Um, that's where you get into all this trouble. That's where you get into all this mess. And and there's, you know, we can go to the Bible with these people, but they ultimately in the day don't believe the Bible. They believe that that is uh, just a portion. I actually, let me tell you this funny story. I had a, there was some weird guy in Kansas City who started following my ministry and he like, so l listen, guys, we're just going to keep rolling uh, because I don't feel like editing this out. So here's a little bit of just raw and real tape for you. Um, we live in a fallen world. You'll all be OK. Um, you know, while he's busy coming back, you know, it's interesting. I think um, I'm going to start kind of just all back at the beginning in the debate between cessationism and continuationism really needs to come from the heart posture of, I'm just going to believe whatever the Bible says is true. And right, I think right. we just, we can't be cautious of adopting um, cessationism just because we don't have that one verse, because we don't do that with any other doctrine. How many people are cautious about adopting the view of the Trinity? You can't find a single verse to convince me of the Trinity. Um, that's just not how a lot of doctrines work. You have to piece together um, a whole bunch of uh, verses and a little bit of understanding and kind of synthesize the information to come to the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and so uh, Spencer's coming back online here. I'll turn it back over I, to him. But um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I lost my yeah. connection. I don't know what happened. Yeah, that's fine, brother. We just kept on going and people will get to see the raw <laughs> stuff on this because I'm not going to edit it out. So um, but we're just talking about how um, not to be worried about um, adopting cessationism because you can't find one passage. There are you, you have to synthesize all the information in Scripture. And I say it that way because what I don't want people to get in the habit of doing is finding anecdotal evidence and then building a, a theology on that. That's not the 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 way you do that you come to uh, a conclusion based on scripture and then often the anecdotal evidence will prove that to be true um it, you know in our experience and so for instance um you know the apostle paul talks about being the last one he speaks about being an untimely apostle he makes it really clear that that there isn't going to be any more after him when, when you read that, and then if you consider his letters, consider how you just sort of see an emphasis of uh, giftings just fade away. In fact, and, and at some stage, you just don't even hear about them anymore. And there's a reason for that. You get to Hebrews uh, chapter 1, and you read things like, in these last days, 
Um, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Um, and uh, actually, from verse one, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. And so there is a very clear understanding, whatever you um, understand that to be a very clear distinction between how God used to speak and now how he's obviously speaking differently. Um, and so you have to ask the questions. Um, you know, we have a clear distinction here. What are those things? But our love for truth has to be the driving force. And, you know, so what if we don't have miraculous giftings anymore? Um, it, it always blows my mind how much people want that to be um, the case because they think, that somehow it's going to make them more faithful or it's going to enrich their spiritual life. It's almost as though they've never read anything in the Old Testament because, I mean, look at God's people coming out of Egypt. How many miraculous things were they exposed to? And did it keep them faithful? They heard the audible voice of God so much so that it terrified them. And they said, Moses, we don't want to hear God anymore. You, you talk to God and communicate to us what he said, and we'll do it. And then what happens, right? Moses is up on the mountain for a few days longer than they expected, and they make a golden calf. Not only did they make a golden calf, but Aaron, who's chosen to be Moses' successor, tells Moses, Hey, bro, I don't know what happened. I was just turned around in this golden calf. Poof, it's popped out of this fire. Like, I mean, he just straight up lied to, to cover it, you know. And and so that was in the modern vernacular. I thought I'd try out the bro that language. Was good. That was really good. Yeah. I don't like it. Impressive. I probably won't do that again. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, you know, th this idea that we need miracles or we're somehow not going to have the fullness of our faith, that's just never proven to be true, right? Um, so that's my spill. Let me go back to you, Spencer, and let me let me take you back to something Eki said um, and, and just have you talk about the dangers of believing um, falsely in continuationism. So go back to John Piper. Um, John Piper, he gets this pseudo-prophecy about how his child's going to die. And by the way, you just have to have no EQ to tell someone something crazy like that. But anyway, and, and his life gets turned upside down for a time period. Like he's losing sleep over the fact that uh, he thinks maybe his, his kid's going to die. And he's stressed and he has anxiety. And it takes someone like John MacArthur to try to reason uh, with him. But his life gets turned upside down. And so talk to us a little bit about how these false beliefs really impact people's lives in in significant ways, e even worse than Piper's, but it it matters and it affects people. It makes a difference. Talk to us a little bit about the dangers of believing these you, false doctrines. You know, ultimately what that is, that superstition, uh, that I, I saw this so much in Africa. I remember one time we were over there doing uh, doing some bunch of soul winning and trying to evangelize and preach the gospel out in these open air markets, which is a great opportunity out there in Western Kenya. Um, 
I remember that for some reason they they said that you know if you if you it, don't answer your text messages today because somebody put some witchcraft on the text messages. So if you open up your phone and the text is read, you're going to die in the next 24 hours. And I remember like almost the whole providence of Western Kenya for that time that I was there on the ground, were just terrified to answer their phone. And like some of them were just taking the batteries out of their phone, just scared to death of that uh, because wow. witchcraft and voodoo, they said, if it, if the text message is read, you're going to die in the next 24 hours. And I'm mean, just like, and I'm sitting there as an American and said, this is silly. This is just dumb. Um, but they, they literally were believing that they, they were just that, that's it, that superstitious belief had a stranglehold on these people. And I think ultimately that's what that, that type of power is what these charismatics desire over people. Um, if you notice that when, you know, on the Mount Carmel where Elijah slew the prophets of Baal, well, five minutes later, Jezebel comes out and says, you're going to be dead in 24 hours and intimidated him. What did, what did he do? He went and, you know, had him a little pity party under, under a juniper tree. And, uh, and that's the, that's the, that, that power over people that that's ultimately what that is, is intimidation. And that's uh, manipulation. That is the tactics of these people. They do this all the time. I mean, you should see the things that they say about me. You know, they, they always come at me saying, be warned, Spencer, you, you're, you're on thin ice with God. God, you're on thin ice with the Lord and the Lord is not pleased with you. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I mean, I, the Lord hadn't told me that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, apparently I must've missed that memo that I'm in trouble with God. Um, I like, I like psychology just a little bit. Um, and I, I was listening to a guy talk about this the other day and he's, he was talking about, you know, always demand evidence of your feelings, demand, demand evidence. Like if, if you have a pity party and you think everybody hates me and I'm just, I'm, I'm just the worst guy in the world. Nobody loves me. I'm just, okay. What is the, what is the actual evidence of that? Do are people writing you hate letters? Has your wife left you? Have all your friends left you? No, it's just a feeling. It's a fleeting emotional thing. So demand evidence of your feelings. And if somebody came to me and said, you know, one of your kids is going to die. I'd be like, well, how do you, how do you know that? I'd put them on the spot. I mean, okay, you have this proof. You're just, you're just, you are, you are doing the same thing they did in Western Kenya. Don't answer your phone because you're going to die if you get a red text message. It, it has no weight. It has no value. It is manipulation. Ultimately, it's just sick, is what it is. Um, and it's the same thing that voodoo doctors do, that witchcraft people do, uh, that the Jamaican witchcraft people do. It, it, it is a nasty religion. It is a, it's, it's, it's witchcraft, manipulation, intimidation. It's not of God. It is foolishness, and I will stand against it as long as I live, as long as God lets me. Yeah, and can I take a step back <laughs> and provide what the correct biblical outlook towards this should be? One, we serve a sovereign God. God is in control of all things, and Satan does not even have the power to do what he wants without permission from God. So he cannot even operate outside of the limits that God has provided. So if you understand those two truths, that God is sovereign, and he's not only sovereign, he's good. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to come together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you understand that he is good and he is sovereign and that evil even has no choice but to serve God's purposes, then there is no reason to ever fear any words from anyone, really. Um, so all you have to do is go straight to the Bible. And the Bible itself, even in the Old Testament, you think about the time of Moses and, and Joshua when you had the first major period of these miracles happening uh, through Moses, miracles happening through Joshua, 
And But in Joshua chapter 1, when he takes over for Moses, what is the Lord's commandment to him? What is his exhortation? Um, be sure to meditate upon the word of the book of the law day yeah. and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written according to them. Only then will you have success and you will be prosperous. And I would say this also. There, I, I mentioned that there is a connection between health, wealth, and prosperity and this kind of charismatic movement. And I think that's for a good reason because people are so overly focused on the here and now. They want to feel good. They want the emotions. They want the experiences. Um, and and when you are driven by emotions and experiences, you're going to have, there's a far less likelihood that you're going to be focused upon our future hope and, and much more of a likelihood that you're focused upon the here and now and wanting what is good here and now. And so people pursue these, the, these feelings and these emotions, not realizing that the scriptures themselves say that second Corinthians chapter 11 says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What does Paul tell the, the elders in Ephesus? Ephesus, this is probably the best taught church in the New Testament. And he said to the elders at Ephesus that from among you, savage wolves will arise from among you. And, and so if, if we know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, it means we cannot discern him from by, by appearances. He, he looks like someone in the church. If savage wolves are going to arise even from among, among Ephesus, these are people that people, others believed were solid parts of the Christian church community. Well, how else are we going to discern it? We're not going to discern it with feelings and emotions. That's how we get manipulated. We're going to discern it by going through the Word of God. It has to be the standard. And Spencer, you were actually, just as you were cutting off, you were telling us a story about someone in Kansas who started following you. But I think your point was that Scripture is the standard. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that was the standard. And he was, he was giving me some crazy, just, just telling me stuff that I thought over and over. And I asked him several times, I said, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? He, he couldn't tell me. And uh, that's why I always say these people ultimately are just mystics with using Christian vocabulary. That's that's really all they are. Yeah. And I think and we need you, to distinguish between. At, yeah, and, and just just um, when you look at Paul. Paul, fivefold minister of the gospel, right? So when in Ephesians 4, 11, he said, and, and Jesus gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Paul was all five of those things. And at the end of his life, when he's writing the letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, his final letter, his most important commandments to Timothy are spread throughout the book, but none emphasize more than in chapter 4, when he says, Timothy, in the presence uh, of our Lord, our God, and, and Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead, I exhort you, preach the word. Uh, of all the commandments that he was going to leave with Timothy, that was the most important thing preach the word. And it's that same same letter in chapter three when he says all scripture is God breathed. It's the same letter in chapter two where he talks about the that the worker need not be ashamed, the one who can accurately handle the word of truth. Right. So that that letter is all centered upon the importance of handling the word of truth. And it's very fitting that the successor to Paul, that the main commandment he gave to him, pay attention to the scriptures, preach it, rebuke, exhort, correct, teach from it recognizing it's going to be in season and out of season. People are going to seek after teachers to tickle tickle their own ears, but you preach the word. Amen. Yeah, that's a good point. Not heal the sick, not cast out demons, not do any of that other stuff, but preach the word. And, and I think, let me just interject here. That, that I think there are two major groups of people in the charismatic church, and we do need to make this distinction. I think there are genuine believers who are being deceived. 
who who are deceived. And then I think there are those who are the deceivers. There are those who look, I, I you are foolish if you think Bill Johnson doesn't know exactly what he's doing. He's a liar and a manipulator, and he's not a Christian. Um, and and the same thing with these other guys. If you think Kenneth Copeland is just innocently deceived, I've got news for you. You you have no discernment. Um, he knows exactly what he's doing. I mean, this is the guy who cut his own finger and put a drop of his own blood and mixed it with communion at the Lord's table and had people take it. I, I, I he, he, he's a deceiver. And I, I would go, uh, and I would go as far as to say as is that, you know, God will keep his own people um, who are caught up in that movement. I believe he'll bring many, many of them out of that movement. Um, I mean, he brought myself out of that movement. And and it's interesting. Maybe we'll have a conversation about that at some stage. All true believers who are caught up in the charismatic movement, they have questions, they have concerns, and maybe they don't voice them, but they're there. Um, and, and, and they get answered when they get into the scriptures, right? Um, and to the degree that they they don't do that, they, they stay in that movement. And so there, I think there are those two groups of people, and we don't want to lump them all together necessarily, but we want to talk about the danger of the move, movement. So we're talking about the threat of the movement. And Spencer, you were kind of talking about some of how it plays out in Africa. And lest anyone think, oh, well, it's not that bad here in America— I want to just read this little news clip for us. It, it, it's it's terribly sad. Um, it's a clip from um, uh, Philadelphia newspaper. Um, it's from 2017. Listen to this, uh, just a few sentences. A Pennsylvania couple who told police their faith forbids any kind of medical treatment were charged Wednesday in the pneumonia death of their two-year-old daughter becoming the latest member of their sect to be prosecuted for failing to take a dying child to a doctor. Jonathan and Grace Foster attributed the November 9th, this was in 2017, death of their daughter, Ella Grace Foster, to, quote, God's will, according to a police affidavit. They were then charged with involuntary manslaughter and child endangerment. These people believed in faith healing, Mm -hmm. and they killed their daughter. And this is in the U.S. And, and, and so if you, you know, if you've been on the sidelines and you don't know why guys get so angry with what gets taught in the charismatic movement, this is why. Because this is the ultimate ending of these doctrines. If you really believe what is taught in the charismatic circles, then this is the kind of end that you eventually get to. It's you don't go to sick and you you don't go to the doctor and get cancer treatment because you believe God's going to heal you. You don't take your grandmother uh, to the doctor after because you think God's going to heal her and you have the gift of healing. Um, You don't take your two year old who has pneumonia to the doctor and she dies. We understand God is sovereign over all of these things. Um, despite the evil that's inherent in it. But we never want to excuse evil under the banner of the sovereignty of God. That's a poor understanding of God's sovereignty. Um, And so these doctrines aren't just deadly overseas. They're actually deadly here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I've I've seen that so many times in Africa. Somebody will go to a, a faith healer legitimately sick 
And the faith healer will say, just believe, just believe. And then they'll lay hands on them. They'll have some sort of emotional experience, uh, probably even a spiritual experience. And of course, we know that that wouldn't be the Holy Spirit behind that spiritual experience. It would be the other spirit. Um, and and they go home feeling good and believing that they've been healed. They'll throw their medicine away and die. I have seen that so much in Africa. And that's part of the reason why I was just so passionately against it here in the Western world is that I, I have... I have seen this monster without the makeup. I have seen it, the the implications of it, all the way to the very end for years out there. And I'm telling you, this is dangerous. This is not good. I understand that there are people out there who, you know, more like the Pipers, the 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 continuationists, but they're not the part of the fringe charismatic stuff. I understand that. I do think that they do bear some of the blame in that, in that they won't they give cover, they give a, an air yeah. of legitimacy to these people. And uh, so I think that, you know, because they won't make the strict separation and, and, and just completely call that stuff out. I, I think that that's the danger of this. They, they, yeah. they won't. And guys, I, here's the thing. I mean, like I, I even go to the church of Thyatira and the book of revelation and Paul talked about the depths of Satan. And I think people don't understand evil. I think they understand Christ. I think they understand what the Lord's trying to do and what the Lord is doing rather. And, but I don't think they understand Satan's game. I don't think they understand what his, what he's trying to do. And I think that uh, ultimately because they, they lack discernment and that they walk straight into it and they, they get, they get deceived and it's, it's a dangerous thing. And we don't speak out against it because we're just, we're just professional haters in Jesus name, you know, um, there is a danger to that that is real and imminent. And how how could we not speak against this? How could we not say something? And I think we need to. Yeah, I, I know of um, good brothers and sisters in Christ who want to believe that the gift of tongue continues today. It, maybe it's just a prayer language, or I, I know of churches that uh, the, God, the true gospel is being proclaimed. I think that the truth is being proclaimed. Um, but they are encouraging people to try to learn to speak in tongue. And and I, I would just ask this, um, to, to what end is this activity? What is it that you're trying to achieve from this? What do you think is missing uh, from this? And and just be wary and, and cling to the Word of God. Always go back to the Word of God. Make sure the Word of God is is where you are you are getting your primary source of edification, understanding that the Word of God is spoken to us through the Word of God. Right? It's just like Justin Peter say, if you want to know what the Word of God is, read it. If you want to hear the voice of God, then read it out loud. Um, so the, the Word of God is where the source of truth must be. And for anyone that is thinking that this is okay and, and they want to experiment with it, look at the Bible, look at the patterns that are established there, because a lot of the, the, the ways that, in fact, every way that I've seen that this has been practiced has quite honestly been unbiblical, in my opinion. I have not seen a biblical example of this. Now, that's not to say, and, and Nathaniel, you pointed this out, and I know, Spencer, you would affirm this, that's not, not to say that God, God is not a God of miracles. Of course, God can perform miracles. And I've heard stories of missionaries who have been on the mission field who suddenly were able to speak the native tongue um, to, to the natives and, and bringing the gospel to them, a tongue that they didn't know before. But in those cases, they never did it again. It was like a one-time occurrence, and that is nothing more than just a miracle of God. That's not the same thing as the gift of tongues. And that's not to say that someone with cancer can't miraculous, miraculously be healed of cancer. We just prayed for a young boy by the name of Mateo. Um, the doctors were certain that they're going to have to amputate his leg. 
And we had been praying for him, praying for him, and they went and they were about to amputate the leg, and then they found miraculously signs of healing in the leg. So they said, we can't amputate the leg. We're going to let it go ahead and continue to heal. And they thought, well, for certain, though, we're going to have to amputate the foot. And so they said another date, they went in to amputate the foot, and they found healing in the foot. And the doctor said, this is a miracle. All right, I, I tell you what a miracle is from a, from a doctor's perspective. It's something that they see that cannot be explained by natural medicine or natural law. So that is a work of God. We affirm the miracles of God. What we are saying is that these gifts, that in the time of the New Testament, the apostolic age, when the full Bible was not yet available, in that age, in the age of the apostles and, and the prophets, um, a foundation was being laid, and, and those gifts were necessary as a part of that uh, growing growing age. But once the apostolic age was done, I see no evidence that it continued. And today, when I come across prophets, I, I said this, I, you know, I, I can listen to most prophets in the first 10, 20 seconds, and I know that there's nothing but unbiblical words coming from their mouth. Prophecy in the Bible is major in its scope. I, I mean, it is it is redemptive. It is looking at God's overall plan. It is it is tied to the Messiah. It is tied to the need to repentance. It is tied to the second coming. It is tied to the end state, right? The second coming, the, the final victory over, over evil and death. It is tied to major themes. It is not you're going to go down to the grocery store and meet someone who's going to give you milk, right? It is not uh, this kind of trivial nonsense that I often hear. And the other thing, too, I ran across this one lady, and she was a family friend. She was a relative of a close family friend. I'd met her for the first time. She was um, a full-grown adult, 30s, 40s, something like that. But she told me that she's a prophetess, and she has been a prophetess for 10 years. And so we got to talking, and I asked her, I said, hey, and I started talking to her about some things in the Bible, about God's sovereignty over evil and things like that. And I said, hey, let's let's take a look at the book of Exodus. Let me show you some things. And she had to go to the table of contents to find out where Exodus was. Now, every <laughs> single Christian, we, we all go through this learning curve where we've got to learn what, where, that the order of the Bible books, I understand that. But if you're a prophet and someone who has been a prophet for 10 years, you better show me you know the Word of God, and you better not tell me anything that contradicts the Word of God. And if you're going to share a prophecy, it better be something that, that can be confirmed by the Word of God, right? So these are these are just the things that I would urge people to look for when you're running across someone who's claimed to be a prophet. And by the way, the New Apostolic Reformation movement, the, the whole idea of new apostles is nothing more than encouragement for people to go and listen to man rather than the Bible, um, because that's all they do. They, they go and listen to man. And as one person said, I can't remember exactly who said it, why would God want to reveal to you new revelation when you don't even know the revelation that he's already revealed? Right. It, oh, that boy. doesn't make sense. But that's exactly <laughs> what's happening today. People want to go and hear something rather than read what has been revealed. And they want to go hear it because the message coming from the ones who are revealing it is tickling their ears. You, you know, I'm glad that you said that because uh, I've spoken extensively about the charismatic movement. And lots of times I will you know, I get feedback from these people. Uh, sometimes it's just a legitimate question. Uh, most of the time it is vehement anger, you know, and, yeah. and I am just, uh, just stupefied at how weak these people are in the scriptures. They don't even know what they're talking about. And I don't, I, I say that compassionately. I'm not like trying to demean these people, but I think this whole movement is built on biblical ignorance. Um, you, yeah. you, I mean, I, I, there's been times I've asked, her, I say, can you give me a biblical example of that? And they'll give me something that, I mean, my, my, 
my kid who's in third grade knows better than that theologically. And I'm, I'm just amazed at how, how biblically illiterate a lot of these people are. And that's, I think, I think a good knowledge of the scripture and growing in, in your understanding of the Bible will, you, you'll, you'll have to come out of it when you grow that way. Yeah, and I think that's the only way you can believe a lot of this is if you just don't know the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. Because once you start reading the Bible, you quickly discover um, that whatever you thought prophecy was um, in the charismatic church, you don't find anything like that in Scripture. Um, you don't find anyone walking around slapping his buddy on the shoulder and be like, hey, check that angel out. He's he's loving how awesome we are worshiping God right now. No, that, that's not any encounter in Scripture with an angel. Do you find that kind of thing? You find people falling on their face in the dirt, scared to death um, with an angel having to say, don't be afraid. Um, and, and I think this really all comes back down to the fact that most charismatics just very simply and fundamentally don't believe that the Bible is, in fact, the very word of God. And because they don't believe it is actually the word of God, they treat it with casualness, with disdain, um, and they're looking for something else. They want the word of God because they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Um, and, and, and that's what it comes down to. When they open up the pages of the Bible, they're just looking for something often that uh, they can pull out of context, much like Satan, by the way, um, to support mm -hmm. whatever their pet project is. Um, rather than, you know, them opening the Bible and thinking what I'm about to read is actually the very word of God. Um, you know, you referenced that Timothy passage, uh, Eki earlier, second Timothy, um, the, the word therefore inspired literally means God breathed, right? And this is the apostle who was inspired by the Holy spirit writing about the Bible saying that the Bible scripture is God breathed. It is the very word of God. And so there are a lot of fundamental issues, um, well, guys, I, I'm going to let Spencer uh, end us with some ending thoughts, and then I'll close this out here. But we've got to do a part two. Um, we've talked a lot about kind of the dangers, and I want to get more into Scripture for those people who are earnestly thinking, okay, I show me in the Word where there are no more apostles. It, can we find that somewhere? Um, can you show me in Scripture where there are no more prophets or that prophecy is entirely different in the Bible than what we see in the charismatic church. Show me um, where there's no spiritual language of tongues, um, that it's this other thing you're talking about. And so let's do a part two where we just kind of do a deep dive in scripture. We're going to show you why there are no more apostles. We're going to show you why there are no prophets um, and the difference between biblical prophecy and what the garbage you see today uh, we're going to show you uh, tongues. What was it, it, anyone can speak in the tongues of today? It's not a miraculous language. I don't have the gift of tongues, and I can do it for you right now. See, it's easy because it's just babble, and I just open my mouth and let baby gibberish garbage come out. Um, there's nothing spiritual about it. Um, but we'll take you to scripture to show you the verses that get misinterpreted and twisted um, so that you, you can see from the word of God that what we're saying 
is true so that you can submit to the word of God and hopefully grow in your faith. Stop chasing after, you know, emotionalism and really be um, filled with God's truth um, and be renewed in your mind. God gave us that wonderful gray matter that charismatics just chose to check at the door and they don't use. Um, God gave it to you to use. And we have to read his word logically, um, coherently, you know, uh, in context, considering the grammar, considering um, the history. That, that's how we're supposed to approach scripture. So, Spencer, kind of give us some last thoughts um, just in general of charismatic doctrine of continuationism, cessationism. Why does it matter for our faith? Why does it matter for the glory of God? Well, if we don't get this right, um, I think we're we're going to miss a lot of things in the Bible. There's something, and this just keeps popping up in my mind as we talk about this. I've got on my screen here, Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I'll profess unto them, I never knew you depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These people, this, I, I believe prophetically, this will be fulfilled at the great white throne judgment. These people are prophesying in Jesus name. They were casting out devils. They were doing many wonderful works. Who knows what they were doing? I, I, could, I mean, this to me just seems to fit these faith healers beautifully. And they went to hell. Uh, that right there ought to be, if you're listening to this, you're practicing this charismatic stuff. That ought to be a, a, a hard check on you because your spirituality is contingent upon performing these miracles it's it is your spirituality, but there's people. Even Jesus spoke about them who are doing all this stuff, and they they weren't even saved. I mean, Judas Iscariot, for what we know from the Bible, had the gifts, and so that ought to put all this into perspective for all of us. It's not about that. It's it's we're we're trying to demean this and exalt the scriptures at the same time, and uh, and so the spiritual danger in this is very real. And like I said, I think this is a very worthy discussion. It needs to be had. And uh, uh, hopefully somebody's out there, maybe you're practicing this, you'll give us an honest hearing in the coming episodes. But, you know, I go over Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I also see the Antichrist will have lying signs and wonders. I think he'll be able to do all this kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this, is, this yeah. is no small thing. This is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a worthy discussion needs to be had. Amen. Well, thanks, guys, for tuning in today. Make sure you watch episode number two. Um, we're just going to jam pack it with scripture and some good reasoning and thoughtfulness there. Uh, thank you, Spencer, for joining us. We'll get a link to um, Spencer's Third Adam movie, uh, uh, movie series or whatever you have there on YouTube. And I don't know, for fun, I might throw in the Third Eye Eagle, Sun, whatever, whatever link. Um <laughs> Just so you can see that it's totally not Spencer uh, at all, but you'll get a good laugh at that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I want you can go look it up uh, on your own. But um, I hope that this has been helpful for you guys. Look, we're we're not trying to just put down charismatics. That that's not any of our hearts. Um, this stuff uh, matters. It it if you get it wrong, it can kill people physically, and more importantly than that. If you get doctrines wrong that are important in the Bible, it could endanger your very soul, and we care about that. 
um, and we care about truth and the glory and honor of Christ and 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 God. So these things matter. So until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.